0: Welcome to the NC4 podcast. We exist to know Christ and make him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's word. It's great to have so much noise and joy in the room. I was praying for joy at the start of the service and, you know, now I'm saying, God, just tone it down a little bit. <laughs> that was such a sweet time of worship. So, let's pray together for a miracle that I end early, and we can go back into some worship. That would be miraculous. (laughs) No, I can say it. You can't say it. (laughs) I want to welcome everyone who's online today, this morning, and anyone who's here as a guest. My name's Ian. I have the pleasure of being the pastor here, and it's just wonderful to worship with you this morning. And uh, we're going to... Open up the scriptures and learn together from Jesus this morning on the topic of relationships. We've been in this series called As Intended, where we've been sitting at the feet of Jesus, our master teacher, and asking him, Jesus, what do you have to say about relationships? And what we've seen is Jesus says, God's intent for you is love, that is your purpose. In one word, you were made for a whole, healthy, loving relationship with your Father God and with all the people around us that he's made in his image, which is every person. And so we've been looking in the book of Matthew for the last couple months now, as Jesus is exposing all of the deep-rooted sources of the things that tear our relationships apart from anger, to contempt, to lust, to manipulation, to selfishness. And Jesus, he's not interested in behavior modification. He's getting to the root things that drive our behavior. Because unless you address the roots, you never address the rotten fruit that they produce. And so Jesus wants to change the source. And in today's passage, we come to probably what is the high point, the, the, the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. And Tim Mackey, who's the, the guy from the Bible Project, he calls this passage that we're about to read a mountaintop. And it's not just a mountaintop. It's a mountaintop within the Sermon on the Mount, but it's also a mountaintop within human history. Because what we're about to read it's almost like everything that led up to this moment in history was leading up to it. And it reached a pinnacle in what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And then it was so transformative, so impacting on history that everything since has looked back on it. And so no one before in history had ever said quite, had ever said something quite like what we're about to read. These words have revolutionized the world. And they reached a height that no one else has ever reached. No one else had even envisioned before. And everyone that's had to think about goodness or beauty or morality ever since has had to reckon with these words. So let's read our passage today. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse forty three You have heard it you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you might be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the word of God. This is the word of Jesus. And if you've been with us through this series, we've met a number of challenging topics. So you're probably glad we picked a nice easy one today, right? All right, we need to get into what Jesus means here. And in order to do that, we need to start with his sources. Because what we've seen is in chapter 5, he's been going through these contrasts. He said, you've heard it said. And every time he says that, he's quoting the law of Moses in the Torah and then he says, but I say to you, and he exposes the, the, the intent of what the law was aiming to produce. And so here, Jesus begins by quoting Leviticus 19, 18, which says, here, here's, here's the, the verse in full. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, that's a quote from Leviticus 19.18. Well, what about the next part? Hate your enemy. You can look through the whole Old Testament and you're not going to find that command. It's not in there. In fact, there's many commands to be good to your enemy, to, to take care of your enemy. If, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink, it says in, in, in Proverbs. In other words, We've said, we're looking at everything Jesus said and didn't say about relationships. And this is something neither Jesus nor his dad ever said. So what's going on here? Where did they, if this is something that was being taught, as he suggests, where were they getting this from? And I think we can begin to understand where they might've gotten this from as we, you know, if, if you think about your first reaction, I don't know about... For someone, that might have been the first time you've heard these words, but many of us, we've heard these words many times. But if you think of your natural reaction when you hear those words, especially verse 48, you must be perfect. Your reaction to that is, you know, gosh, Jesus, be perfect? I can't even be on time. (sighs) This is too hard. Everybody looks up to this, but we say, that's a great ideal, but it's not livable. It's too hard. What we need to do is we need to find what are the boundaries around this, okay? We need to draw a line somewhere to make this livable. So, love my neighbor. Who counts? Who's my neighbor? And and of course, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in answer to that question. But when you read it in context in Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. In context, it's clearly talking about the people of Israel. It's talking about your family. It's taking care of your own. So, okay, if that's what it means, great. I can do that. As long as we don't have to do like every holiday together, you know. (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) But some people said, okay, if that means our people, our family, our kin, then that's where we draw the line. And everyone outside of that line, it's okay to hate. It's okay to, be, to have animosity towards outsiders. In fact, in a sense, some people would say, We're supposed to hate them because the very reason that they're outside the boundary is that they're not God's people. They don't follow the law. And so there was great animosity between the Jews and the surrounding nations. Shouldn't we hate evil? Aren't a third of the Psalms, you know, decrying evil and and condemning those who practice wickedness? And so there was a logic to that. But others would say this was a raging debate in, in Jesus's time, by the way. Other people would say, yeah, but read the rest of the chapter. Leviticus 19, when you go down to verse 34, here's what it says. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so now we're expanding that boundary line. Now it's not only family and kin and, and tribe, you know, your tribe, it's extending it now to immigrants that come in peacefully, that want to settle, that want to be, you know, part of the society and integrate. So you say, okay, well, we can extend that further. That's fine. If they're willing to come in and do as we do and live by our laws, we'll extend that line. Think about what Jesus has said in the, just the previous passage. So, so we took a little hiatus last week for, for, to look at the resurrection, but in the previous section here in chapter 5, he gives the example of tax collectors and Roman soldiers. In other words, tax collectors were insiders. They were kinsmen. They were part of the people of Israel, but they chose to become outsiders and collaborate with an oppressive regime. And he says, Roman soldiers, these are the people who are oppressing. These are the political military enemies of the people of God. These are the people who are refuting. They're not not outsiders who are integrating into the community. They're outsiders who are disintegrating the community. And so surely they're outside of the, the boundary line. Surely it's okay to have animosity towards those kind of people the traitors, and the oppressors. Well, Jesus says, the love that you were created for is not just a love towards your own people, your own family, the people that look like you, your own nation. It's not even only towards outsiders who agree to live peaceably within your city. Here's the first point. You are intended for a love without boundary. You're intended for a love without boundary. Now, even as I say that, some of you are thinking, well, well you got to have boundaries, right? And, and here's what Jesus is not saying. Remember, the whole way through this, he is not giving us new laws. He said, I'm not abolishing the law. I'm fulfilling it. I'm showing you the intent of the law. And so Jesus, he's not saying that there's never appropriate boundaries that have to be drawn in relationships. In fact, healthy boundaries are often necessary to safeguard love, right? So he's not getting rid of that. What Jesus is talking about, he's not talking about the boundary lines that we draw to protect love. He's talking about the boundary lines we draw to say who's out. Who is beyond the line of who I'm bound to love and treat well and care for. A lot of boundaries are healthy. And I remember, you know, I grew up in Battelle, which is a ministry that that works with people coming out of addiction and time after time in people's testimonies, they would say, there came a time where I was stealing from my parents. I was selling our furniture. I was, and my parents had to draw a line and kick me out of the house. And at the time, I hated it. It was like they, you know, they they were ruining my life. But I now see that if they didn't draw that line, all they would have done was continue to enable me and it would have destroyed all of us. So that's a boundary line that's drawn for the sake of love. Right? And so the kind of boundary that Jesus is talking about here, though, like I said, it's the line of who do we not need to love? And Jesus is saying, you are created to be the kind of person where there is no boundary line of who's in and who's out, of who you love and who you don't love. Every single person that bears God's image is within that line. And I love how Tim Mackey illustrates this. I'm leaning a lot on on some of his, the Bible project stuff is fantastic, by the way, and especially some of his teaching on Sermon on the Mount he illustrates it like this. He he says, when you you combine the previous passage and this one, what what Jesus seems to be trying to get us to imagine is is something like this. So you remember Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector in in the Gospels, and and he eventually comes to Jesus. But imagine someone like Zacchaeus. He's a Jew. He's a tax collector. He was collaborating with the Romans. The Chosen really illustrates this well, too, if if you've seen that. But imagine you're, you're a poor workman, you're a poor fisherman, and you've had a a rough day, you haven't caught much, and you're on your way home, and you have to pass through the toll booth, and you don't have enough to pay because you haven't caught enough. Right? So you're you're short, and you say, "Ah, you know, I just, I don't have enough. And Zacchaeus stands up on his stool, and, uh, and just backhands you, and starts just demeaning you and and insulting you. And there's nothing you can do because the Roman soldiers are right there and they're going to kneecap you if you do anything. What does a follower of Jesus do in that situation? Or imagine this. You're on the Sea of Galilee. It's a Sabbath day. You're, You're having nice time on the beach with your family on the lake. And a a, a cohort of Roman soldiers comes up and they drop their bags at their feet, pull their swords and say, you, get up, carry our bags over the hill. Do it now, we're going to kill you. And it's not even lawful for you to do it on the Sabbath. What do you do? What do you do in that situation? What do you do when a person means you harm? And here's the thing I want to encourage you this morning is that Jesus is talking to you. He's talking to me. It's very easy to take this and say, oh, well, you know, let's think about how our government should act or how, you know, like the church should act. No, he's he's talking to his disciples. What would you do? What should you do as his follower in this kind of situation? So can can we just do something to go? Can you say after me, Jesus is talking to me. me. Okay, thank you. So (laughs) what do you do? Now, some people look at this And they say, well, Jesus is saying, he's just preaching weakness. He's saying, when these things happen to you, you just have to lie back and take it. Let them walk all over you. And I give that the label doormat theology. And I can see how you would see that in, in what he's saying here. But here's the thing. When you look at the life of Jesus, does Jesus strike you as a doormat? No. So, right there, you have an indication that something has to be wrong with that way of reading it. Something else is going on here. And, and, and effectively, what Jesus is saying is when you are a person that is so pervaded by the love of God, and something like this happens to you, when the tax collector slaps you in the face, insults you, you say, Something like, wow, Zacchaeus, you must have had a really hard day. Come on, just just let it out. (laughs) And when the Roman soldier drops his bag in front of you and forces you to take it a mile, you say, you guys must be so tired carrying all this baggage. Would you you give me the honor of carrying this all the way to your home? (laughs) What is that? What is that? Is that passive? Whatever it is, it's not passive. This is is something active. There's something subversive going on here. This is what Jesus calls agape. Agape. You've all heard this word agape. We know that there's there's four. If you've been around churchianity at all, you, you know there's four Greek words for love. And sometimes, you know, we can construct whole, like, books about the stuff. But it's actually quite a common word. It's, it, it's not something that was only reserved for God. It, it just meant, it meant treating someone with affection, with loyalty, with fondness. This is agape. Common Greek word. For instance, this is the word when, in, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, um, when God says to Abraham go and sacrifice your son, your only son whom you love, it's your only son whom you agape. So there's a, there's a fondness, there's an affection, there's a loyalty there. This is agape. And so, this is the kind of love, it's the loyalty, the affection that we have towards our people, towards People that we feel an affinity to, to our family, our kin, our, our own kind, whatever kind we are. And you can see how he's using it, what it kind of means, in the, in, even by the examples that he gives in the passage. So he says, who, who are the people that you show loyalty towards, that you show favor towards? Loving those who love you back. Those are the ones that you show agape to, the ones that are loyal and favorable to you. And who are the ones that you tend to greet when you come into a room? Those are the people you agape. The ones that you have some sort of connection to that you, 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 you dignify with a greeting. And so this is a completely natural kind of love. And I feel like if you ask any person... Virtually any person, they'll say, yeah, I'm, a pretty, I'm pretty much a, a good person. And I think it's because we all have a measure of this kind of love. Even, you know, like Al Capone felt agape towards his people, right? The worst, you know, terrorists, terrorists and mafiosos, you know, have this kind of love for their in-group. And so you can always, you know, everyone has some measure of that. And so everyone can look at that and say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm as good a person as someone else, more or less. It's completely natural, right? But Jesus takes this natural, normal kind of love and he flips it to make a completely abnormal, completely unnatural, and we really mean supernatural, He says the kind of love that we're intended for is one that displays the same kind of favor, the same loyalty and concern that we naturally have for our people, for those who even hate us. There's no boundary outside of which you are not bound to love. The love of Jesus crosses all of those boundary lines. And so we can sum this up by saying agape is boundary-breaking love that actively subverts evil. And you have to ask, okay, why do we do this? This is what Jesus goes on to talk about. He says, do this so that you will be sons of your father who is in heaven. And he's not saying that this is what makes you a child of God. What he's saying is this is what demonstrates that you are a child of God. And it, it, you know, it goes hand in hand with the beatitude at the beginning of chapter five that says, peacemakers will be known as sons of God. And so he's saying is, as you demonstrate agape, as you make peace, you're, you're giving away the family that you belong to. You're, you're, you're copying the mannerisms of, of your dad. People who know my dad tell me all the time, you do you do all his mannerisms. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Cause no kid thinks their dad is cool, you know, until they, you know, maybe when they're older, but uh, you can't help it when it's, when that is in your blood, when that's your family, it just comes out of you, right? And so Jesus is saying, when you're part of God's family, when you're a child of God, this is what gives it away. And so this is the way God loves. Now, where does Jesus get that idea? Where does he get that picture of God? And it's really interesting what he does here because it's not something that we would typically do. He says, how do I know God is like this? Look at the weather. It was quite a storm we had yesterday. I was driving through it and like couldn't see anything. And Jesus looks at something like that and he says, the rain that's necessary for our harvests, it falls on the good farmer's land and it falls on the wicked farmer's land. The sun that we've been enjoying recently, it's like an early summer, The wicked enjoy that same sunshine and ice cream. (laughs) And the good enjoy the same sunshine and ice cream. And so, what he's he's counteracting is this really common but but completely wrong theology that we, we kind of assume this all the time, especially on ourselves. We say, well, if life's going well and there's money in the bank and my kids are doing okay, God's happy with me. I'm, I must be doing something right. Right? And when something's bad, when, you know, you're, 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 your son's rebelling and, you know, you're broke and your boiler needs fixing, you're like, God, what did I do wrong? Right? And Jesus says, no, that, that, that is not how God operates in the world. And he not only gets it from looking at the weather, he, he's also clearly getting it from scripture. I mean, you read, for instance, Psalm 145, verse nine says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Not only that, there's a whole book of the Bible called Job that is 40 plus chapters of, you know, deconstructing that whole bad theology. Here's the point, okay? This is the way God loves. Agape is reflects God's boundless generosity. God doesn't have to show goodness to any of us. He's not bound to do anything good for any of us. Our very existence is a gift. And of course, Jesus says there will come a day where we'll be repaid for all that we've done and said in the flesh. But right now, he's showing us generosity. He's showing us kindness to lead us to repentance. And of course, so this, this, this is just generosity without limit. And of course, it's the same generosity that you see G- in Jesus's life. This is what he's doing when he's throwing parties and he, he's inviting not just his friends, but he's inviting the neighborhood bad guys. He's inviting the, the I mean, this is like, if Jesus were in Germany in the Second World War, this is like inviting Nazi collaborators to dinner when he's inviting the tax collectors. You realize that? This is like, they had reason to not like these guys. And Jesus invites them in. And so there's this deep generosity and we get this picture right now, at this point, he's been talking about love all the way through chapter five, but this is the point where he actually begins to use the word. And he says, Finally, this is the kind of love. This is what shows you the kind of love that fulfills the law. It's not just any kind of love. And here's where we need to bring a little clarity to, to that word love because we, we hear love all the time, and it's, it's not a very useful word in the English language because it can mean so many different things. It can mean everything from, you know, I love ice cream, right? I love hot dogs. No? Okay. <laughs> to I love my kids, right? And chances are, many parents would have, you know, I I would die for my kids. You wouldn't die for your hot dog. Unless it's a Patsy's hot dog. Right? This is me speaking Lehigh Valley. (laughs) But most of the time... When we're talking about love, we're talking about an emotion, a feeling that, that happens to us. You know, I fall in love. I, I, I love this thing because when I eat it, I just, I, I just enjoy it, right? It's something that happens to us. And so, is Jesus saying that we need to have, you know, those warm fuzzies towards our enemies? Look at what? Is that what he's saying? Actually, I think when when you you look at what he's saying here, that kind of love, it's not something you can really command because it's not something in your control. It's something that happens to you. What Jesus is saying here is that, here's the next point, agape love is primarily an attitude and action. It's attitude and action. He's saying to love like God means firstly to adopt the attitude that God has towards that person. To see them, because you can't have an enemy, you can't, you can't treat someone like an enemy without dehumanizing them to some extent, depersonalizing them, right? We all do it in different ways, but that's, that's, that's what's happening because you can't treat someone like that without doing it but God looks at a person and says, that is a person that bears my image. This is a being with boundless potential for love, for dignity, for purpose. And they're a person for whom Jesus died. You know what? That's true. You cannot find an exception to those rules. And seeing them as God sees them begins to shift our heart that we can begin to act towards them as God might act towards them, even if they don't deserve it, even if they hate us. And I'm not suggesting any of this is, is easy, but this is the only kind of love that actually has the power to transform our relationships. Martin Luther King said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. His whole movement demonstrated the power of that statement. You know, loving your own family, your own kin, those who are like you, loving those that you can't help but find lovable. It's very natural, but it doesn't change anything. It it just sustains the status quo. But loving the unlovable, loving those who are not your own, loving those who don't love you, that brings the very heart and character of God into the world. We're never more like God than when we love like that. And that's why Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Those are really daunting words to read. But the Greek word for, for, that's translated perfect there is, is teleos. And we have to understand it doesn't mean perfect in this kind of abstract, flawless state. It means here's what it actually, this blew my mind when I read this in the dictionary, the Greek dictionary. It means being fit for the intended purpose. I thought, oh, that'll preach. That's in, our, that's in our series, as intended. So imagine, okay, th- this is what it means. You pick up a hammer, and, or, or someone says, you know, I need a hammer. You say, oh, yeah, I got the perfect thing. This is, this is, a, this is a great hammer. This is a perfect hammer. All right? Now, you're not saying, when you say this is a perfect hammer, you're not saying, if you use this hammer, all the problems in your life are going to go away. You're going to be, you know, beautiful and rich, and flawless, all you're saying is this is perfectly suited to drive that nail into that wall. Yeah? It's perfectly suited for the intended purpose. And so, a hammer is teleos by the fact that it can drive a nail into the wall. Well, what is the teleos of a human being? What is the intended purpose of a human being? It is to love like God loves. And when we, to the extent that we love like God loves, we are living in our intended purpose. We become, we, we, we enter into our teleos, into our intended purpose. And so the measure of you being a successful human being It's not making money. It's not how many kids you have and how obedient they are. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) It's not being highly respected and critically acclaimed. It is the measure with which we agape. The measure with which we love those who fall outside the natural boundaries of who we find lovable because that's what God does. That's the measure of whether you're living as intended. And, and the other way to translate that word teleos is maturity. We reach maturity in the image of God to the extent that we love like God. Because God is love and we're meant to be his images. We are his images. And so the, here, here's the summary. Agape completes our human calling. It completes our calling. So think of that word perfection as... as completely suited for our intended purpose. Now, I want to, I as, we, as we bring this to a close, I want to try and bring this into our lives, right? Because the reality is all of us this week, maybe on your drive home, are going to encounter people that we don't like and who don't like us. And I, I, I know there may be some of us hearing this that you, you feel like that, that, that might be a, a description of the state of your family right now. It might be a description of the state of your marriage right now. And the most painful enemies, I think, are the ones that used to be friends. Right? And I think if we talk about marriage, chances are, your marriage began with the kind of love that happens to you. We marry for love in this part of the world and we fall in love and we get married and that's kind of how we do things. But you quickly find out a marriage doesn't last long on the kind of love that happens to you. It has to become the kind of love that changes your attitude towards a person and chooses to act in their best interests, even when you're not feeling the warm and fuzzy. Right? Marriage has to work on agape. A love that's active, a love that loves in spite of faults, even in the face of offense. And so, I remember... (laughs) <laughs> when we first got married, I realized, wow, marriage is like this school of character because every day, it's, it's really, this is, this is a statement of any really shared community. It's, it's, a, it's a school of character because when you live in community, and what is marriage but a community of two, right? You're daily presented with this opportunity to grow in character because here's a person who doesn't meet all the conditions all the time just like you and yet you vow to love them and and so you're learning as you do that you're learning how to love unconditionally it's 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 exactly the same in in community shared life with friends <laughs> if you've ever vacationed with friends right you, you you know, sometimes you can grade on each other by the end of the week or whatever, but it's because when you spend that close, intimate time with other people, you begin to see their flaws and they begin to see yours. But what that is is an opportunity that's not an accident. It's not something to escape. You're not going to go to another church where you're not going to encounter that. You're not going to trade your spouse for one where you're never going to encounter that. It's part of the deal. because we're flawed human beings, right? And there's a purpose to it. God has put us into relationships for the purpose of learning how to love like he loves. Learn how to love without conditions. All right? So you don't have to be married to practice this. You could practice this with your friend, with your coworker, with your boss. And it's not just about putting up. Some of us have really difficult relationships in some of those fields and, and, Jesus is not saying, well, just put up with it. Just take it. Just be, you know, this, this, this doormat. He's saying, no, the way to shift things is agape. The way to subvert this evil is agape. And remember, so, so I'm going to close with this. How do we, how do we go about that? It doesn't mean you have to work up warm, fuzzy feelings towards that person. That's not where it starts. It begins with an attitude. God, how have I ceased to see this person as one of your images? How have I ceased to see this person as someone that Jesus died for? Help me to see that. Help me to shift my attitude and let me see them as you see them. And as that happens in your heart, you begin to see, you can see even the worst person as someone who's broken, someone who's probably acting out of their own hurt and brokenness, someone who is just as much a recipient of God's love and mercy as you are. Maybe not in the same way. And if you can choose to see them despite what you feel, if you, can, if you can begin to see them in that kind of way, well, then that opens up the pathway to then begin to, to act on that, right? And Jesus says, well, what was the first thing he says? He said, pray for them. Can you bring yourself to pray for that person? Prayer is a, is, is a incredible act of love when you think about it. Because it, it's prayer that just in the same way that you would pray for yourself or the people that you love, God, bless them, you know, meet their needs, you know, heal them, turn their life around. If you're able to pray that for someone who hates you, for for someone who's oppressing you, that's an act of love. And, And it, you know, sometimes it's too dangerous to actually interact with that person. But Jesus says, you don't have to start there. Pray. If you can pray for a person, you can begin to see them as God sees them. Prayer is the first act of love. If you can begin to pray for your estranged spouse, even in that, you're beginning to love as God loves. But it can go beyond prayer. I want to kind of ask us this What can you do this week, these next seven days? What, can you, what, what action can you take to demonstrate goodwill towards this person who either you consider or considers you to be an enemy? A way to demonstrate goodwill towards them. And it, I, I love what Jesus says because he, he says, it can start with a greeting. For some people in our lives, saying hello is a radical act, Right? But it can go it can go beyond that, like like Jesus says in the previous passage. You know, it it could be maybe it's your boss and they're loading heavy burdens on you. Maybe it's going the extra mile. Like Jesus says with the with the soldiers. Going beyond the minimum as an act of generosity. And I think actually, as you begin to take these steps. As you, as you develop that attitude, as you begin to, as you find yourself able to pray, able to take generous actions towards other people, then God can even begin to shift something in the way we feel towards people. You know what? Jesus, Jesus felt compassion towards the people that were nailing him to the cross. That didn't come from nowhere. He didn't grit his teeth and like, oh, you know, I gotta love him. it was was just coming out of him, right? And here's the thing, we can only begin to love like this if we first see that we also required that kind of love from Jesus, that we also treated him like our enemy and yet he gave himself for us. That we too, have been the object of agape love. That when we were his enemies, he gave himself for us. When we were outsiders, when we were traitors, he welcomed us in and said, come sit at my table. When we were rebels, he offered us peace. He made peace when he who Knew no sin became sin for us to reconcile us to God and and, and in the Second Corinthians five it goes on to say and now he's given us that same ministry of reconciliation. I plead with you, be reconciled to God. It's that love on the cross that transformed us from enemies into friends. You guys can come back up. (laughs) Once you're able to see yourself like that, that you too have been an enemy that's been shown love, I think grace can allow you to see the other person also as worthy of that kind of love. To see the other person and say, well, Jesus, if I'm redeemable, they also must be redeemable because they're made in your image just like me. And that's the only kind of love that can transform you into a completely different kind of person and can absolutely transform our relationships. So, I didn't go short, (laughs) But I do, want to, I do want to finish with, with some worship. I think it's an appropriate response. And as we, as we sing, just thank God for how he made you a friend, how he made you a child. It was through the cross. And if there's anyone in your life that considers you an enemy or you, can, you recognize now that you're treating them like an enemy, just ask the Holy Spirit to shift your attitude, to, to give you a willingness to pray for them, to show you if there's an action to take, what is that? And to begin to feel the kind of compassion, the kind of mercy that Jesus felt Even towards his own enemies. Can we stand and just close in prayer? Jesus, we thank you for your agape love that recognizes no boundary, there's no one outside of it, there's no one who's excluded. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you, for all of us in this room, for all of us just hearing, hearing this teaching from you, Lord, would you transform our hearts with your love? Melt away the hardness, melt away the, 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 the pain, the bitterness, the grudges, and shift our perspective towards those people, Lord. Lord, because we're never more like you than when we're able to love the people that we don't like, that dislike us, that even hate us and have hurt us. Lord, show us the right boundaries to draw for the sake of love when necessary. Lord, and help us tear down the boundaries that that stop us from loving those that you died for. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Our society needs this so badly. We need this so badly, Lord. We thank you for your grace, and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.